The CFRN E-Mini Futures Cast is now on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, Android phones, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. You're listening to CFRN, a community of believers who trade for a living. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we do it, call toll-free 1-866-928-3310 and we'll send you out a no-obligation information kit absolutely free. 866-928-3310. Hey, good afternoon, friends, and welcome. Today is Friday the 21st day of June, 2013. You're listening to episode number one, numero uno of Releasing Kings, uh, with the author of the book by the same name, Releasing Kings, Mr. John Garfield. Uh, John, welcome to CFRN. Hi, Dwayne. Good to be here. Man, oh, you sound great. So glad to have you with us. Uh, Yeah, you sound fantastic. So, folks, let me give you a tiny bit of background, and then I'm going to just turn this thing over to John for a moment. But I've known of John and John's ministry for a number of years. Uh, The book that he wrote, it's called Releasing Kings for Ministry and the Marketplace. Uh, The book is available, of course, at John's site, releasingkings.com. Also, it is available on Amazon and I'm sure any number of other places in bookstores. I spoke with John for the first time by phone a few months ago. We've had a chance to visit just briefly on, I think, two or three separate occasions by phone. I know a little bit about John, a little bit about his background and what led him to write this book, but I'm going, I'm going to pretend for the benefit of the listening audience that I don't know John, and I'm going to ask you, John, if you would just kind of uh, start from scratch and introduce yourself, tell us whatever it is you want to tell us about who you are, uh, how you came to write this book, and just, you know, I mean... You're a preacher, brother, so I know once I hand you a microphone, uh, you won't need any coaching from me. Oh, and by the way, let me introduce you to my uh, good friend, co-host, business partner, left hand, right hand, uh, and I think I said good friend, Michael B. He's on with us today. Michael, this is John. John, Michael, you guys may have already met. I don't know. Yes, yeah, we've, we've spoken on the phone a few times. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, very good then. Yeah, this is a little so, like cheating because uh, you know I've, I've got to listen to uh, Dwayne for six or seven hours today. <laughs> I admire your stamina. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why, and that's why I'm going to put my feet up on the desk here and let you talk for a while. <laughs> so um, take it away, John. Give us an idea of just you know your background, your history, as much as you want to share, because the audience they don't know. They don't know who John Garfield is, and we want to know because we're gonna okay. we're gonna go through this book, page after page over the coming weeks and months, line upon line, precept upon precept, because I really believe it is that important in this day and age for the body of Christ to understand what it is you're trying to convey. I really believe you are 
the voice of God in this book. He is speaking through you today to the body. So, John, the floor is yours. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll give you a, I'll give you a 90 seconds about me, and then I'll, and I'd like to talk about the, uh, why it's uh, so interesting in this particular hour. Uh, I was raised on a ranch in Montana, uh, Angus Ranch, and uh, grew up. Uh, my dad taught me things like how to break horses and build fence and uh, run hay machinery and help cows have calves and all that kind of stuff. So when I went to uh, college, I took a, got an engineering degree at uh, Montana State and then worked as an engineer for like 30 years or so. We have four children, five grandchildren. Uh, I got saved when I was a senior in high school. I came out here. I got saved in 1970. And uh, so I was in a church for 16 years that really believed in planting other churches. They had started about eight different churches. And so that was, um, when I got to be 35 or 40, Peter Wagner was doing all that church planting stuff. And uh, he just said the greatest way to make new disciples was to plant churches. And uh, that kind of stuck with me, and I thought, well, if that's what God's doing, is, uh, you know, the church is God's vehicle and the most important thing, why we'll go plant some churches. So in 1990, we planted a church called Columbia Christian Fellowship, and uh, in 2000, we turned that church over after 10 years, met at a motel for five years and bought a building. And in 2000, we planted another church, and uh, two, and about that time, the guy that led me to the Lord uh, introduced me to the author of God at Work. I'm not thinking of the name right now. Uh, anyway, he gave me a tape on him. He'd been in Billings. That was actually before he wrote the book, I think. So uh, I got interested in marketplace ministry. And a funny thing happened in the second church I started. I, I went to a conference at uh, Bill Hammond's church. The author of God at Work was one of the speakers. I had lunch with him, uh, got all excited about it, came home and started doing it in the church. And uh, basically, there were people interested in marketplace ministry and starting businesses that, I mean, I lit some people on fire. And I also had another, you know, sort of the left, on the left side of the aisle were those people on the right side or people that kind of wanted to go back to uh, talking about, you know, marriage or whatever, wanted to know when we were going on to the next emphasis. <laughs> and what I found out was that I, I couldn't go on to the next emphasis. I, I mean, I was just uh, totally absorbed in you know, what was God, God was doing in the kingdom. So we wrote Releasing Kings in 2004, and uh, it was in 2007 we wrote another book called Desire to Destiny. And uh, what Releasing Kings does is put a, theo a theological foundation under marketplace ministry. It's a really good book from that standpoint. It's a really good foundational book. There there really isn't any other book on marketplace ministry that does um, such a good job on the theology. And I owe most of that to a friend named Harold Everly. Um, so we can talk about that stuff. Uh, yeah, who I just met a couple of uh, weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote three books. Um, one on uh, focusing on the future was on eschatology and uh, Who is God is on the nature of God, and uh, Precious in His Sight was the third book is on the nature of man. So what happened is I realized uh -oh. things in my own theology that 
needed to change before I could kind of become kingdom oriented. And uh, and you, you you've seen those global warming videos of Alaska where the uh, you know the glaciers crack off and fall into the to the bay. Yeah, right. My my theology felt like that. <laughs> every every few months I'd read another book and something would crack off and fall into the bay that I held, thought was pretty precious. <laughs> and it's uh, I'll give you one example. When I said, you know, when somebody said the Great Commission, I said, uh, well, that's uh, go ye all into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. I said, well, that's it. And um, in reality, when you go back and read the verse, it says, make disciples of all nations. And, uh, you know, my, my vision was way too small in a lot of different areas. So, nutshell, you know, what, you know what, what's happening right now? So let me skip from me. Uh, I, we can come back. I'll, I'll tell you much, as much about me as you want to know. I'm not trying to hide anything. But uh, let me tell you why uh, I think... You know, releasing Kings or Marketplace Ministry or this current move is really important now, and I, and it really, I really had a wake up call. We were, we went from uh, you know writing the book. I've done, I've got a newsletter on our website. Uh, we've written one every week for the last six years, I think. So there's four, four hundred newsletters or something on the on the website, <laughs> um, and then we started doing conferences, <clears throat> and what we found in the conferences was that it was almost electric. When, when you, you know, the, the message that I have bathed in for, you know, the uh, 45 years I've been saved, or 40 years, I guess it is, something like that, was that, um, you know, God was the boss and we're here to serve him and or serve one another. You know, the, we're, we're servants. And actually in John 15, 15, it says, you know, I no longer call you servants, but from henceforth I call you friends. I want to make known to you the business of the Father. And then it goes on to the, the next phrase is ask whatever you want. Ask, and I'll give it to you. Is the gist of that uh, that that verse. And uh, so we, uh, we just, uh, when you give that message to people, and, and usually the gospel tr sort of translates loosely to this, um, you can get saved, and you can go to heaven, and in the meantime, you can come to church every Sunday and listen to great preaching and be in the presence of God. And uh, and if you're really excited, you can uh, you know work in the nursery or teach a Sunday school class. And it it is true that especially you know when people get saved, when I got saved, when you got saved, all of us, it's the same thing. When we get saved, and especially when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we really have a desire to serve God. Right. So in that context, you know, if, if the model is sort of, you know, the church is God's vehicle, then we start shopping around for, uh, you know, what can I do in a church? If that's what's going on, like, I want to do that. So I got a Bible college degree. Um, I was a deacon. I was an elder. We taught Sunday school. We had the youth group. We did everything there was to do in a church of <laughs> two or 300 people uh, 16 yeah. years. And did it with zeal too, <laughs> right? And then, uh, you know, I thought, first I thought that, uh, you know, I just thought I wanted to be a pastor. But, you know, that's what God's doing. Um, and I sort of denied that. I thought, well, that's just sort of selfish 
ambition. But then I said, well, why not? So we went and did it. At, you know, had a few bumps in the road on the way, but made it happen. And that's sort of my personality. Is you know, once I figure out what I think God wants, why I'm more than happy to help Him make it happen. And there, there was an anointing on it. We had a lot of good things happen. A lot of people saved. And, uh, so that's what we did. Well, when the, this kingdom thing began to show itself in, in 2000, and, and we went from that message, you know, <clears throat> get saved, come to church, you know, plug into church, and you know that's, you know, then you then you can go to heaven and live happily ever after. Right. Well, the the message of the kingdom is that the uh, the kingdom is here. It's it's been around for you know two thousand years or so now, and uh, in one sense it's within us, and another sense we're filling the earth with God's glory. We're Building his kingdom here and now, and uh, so when so we're in Poland two and a half years ago doing a conference. By the way, I got at least one person from Poland on this phone call. Um, oh well, good <laughs> afternoon or good morning, Poland, whichever it is. There, glad to have so, you with us. Yeah, it's eleven nineteen in Poland, PM right now. PM, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so what happened was we just said. And we did it by accident because it was a business conference, and I'm just doing my stuff, which was centered around the book. We just said, God's building his kingdom, and he's doing something in cities and nations, and he's using business people to do it. And uh, the church is a great place to get discipled, a great place to get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized and learn how to prophesy and learn how to give and learn how to fellowship and everything else under the sun. But... Uh, you're not called to just sit in church, and and these, we had somehow in a in a church of you know two three hundred people in Poland, they had invited thirty or forty people that had never been to you know a, a Christian church before. Now every, the context is everybody in Poland was raised Catholic. Okay, Poland is like ninety nine percent Catholic. Uh, at, at the moment, anybody on the street. You know, have some background of Catholicism, but they don't go to church. They're probably not saved. You know, they have some awareness of God, and most of them have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder over the Catholic Church. You know, we found when we traveled, when my wife and I traveled to England, my wife was uh, raised Catholic. She went to Catholic school uh, growing up. Uh, Michael is Catholic. His children go to Catholic school. When we went to England and we went to Amsterdam and when we were in Paris, uh, the presence of the Catholic Church is certainly there, but there's something something a little different. Uh, go ahead and tell me and, and what you sensed, and I'll see if it lines up with anything that uh, that I uh, experienced. Well, what we found was uh, you know, on a Friday night we're doing this conference, and we just said, you know, God's building His kingdom. You know, He's inviting you to be involved. Um, we talked about business, you know, how it was happening. Uh, we talked about the nature of God and the nature of man and the importance of initiative uh, and the fact of, uh, you know, we're not just called to be servants, but we're called to be um, friends and kings and to, you know, sort of take ownership of the responsibility for what God's doing to build the kingdom. Mm -hmm. and we had restaurant owners there. Uh, one lady owned some beauty salons. You know, significant businesses, a dentist, uh, 
etc. And uh, <clears throat> so at the as we wound down, I turned it back over to the pastor. Uh, he had an altar call, um, you know, a, you know, from a, it was like a jaw-dropping experience. A bunch of people came up for the altar call, and then they invited us. He turned it back over to us, and just we had four different people there, speakers, and we all just started offering to pray for businesses. So we're praying for businesses, and each one of us independently are finding out that Pearson we're praying for isn't saved. And uh, so we just let them, you know, a simple prayer. You know, we're not evangelists, but uh, we're saved. We can do that. So about, when all of a sudden then we compared notes, and about 30 people got saved. And those 30 people, after we left, met on Fridays for a year, uh, the rest of that school year, they led one or two people more to the Lord uh, once a week. And uh, they went went through again the, the second year in school year and that that group is still together still part of the the church generally you know some have come and gone but uh, but uh, and it took me months to figure out what happened and it was just simply we gave them the gospel of the kingdom that uh, you know God's in, working through people in different mountains educators businessmen politicians uh, you know people in the arts and entertainment, and uh, he, he's using them in their mountains, you know, outside of church. And most people have never heard that before. Now, what happens when you give that message in a conference setting is like there's just waves of the presence of God go over those people, and you can see the light bulbs come on and the freedom enter their hearts. And uh, it's 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 an unspeakable experience to see that happen to to a group of people. It's like a jailbreak occurs in, in their hearts, and it's uh, just the most refreshing thing you can imagine. Uh, and you know when I, when I say say they're all Catholics, you know what I well, let me just mention to you what I think about Catholicism. I think God's going to breathe and, and is already even in Poland on the Catholic Church. They're uh, it's you know there are many uh, I would say most Catholics in America are saved I don't know if it's quite the same in Poland but you know I have an opinion on that one way or the other particularly but I can see God beginning to open doors um, back through the even the institution of Catholicism that that, that, that thing is going to come alive and uh, you know all those buildings and everything that's yeah. there. I, I just believe God is able to do that, and, and is, and you can see it happening. Let, let, let me ask a question, and Michael, you, you would be one that could, uh, could answer this. I know that in many years past, in the Catholic Church, because my wife has shared this with me, what in uh, Protestant Christianity, what we refer to as being born again, or the born again experience, that was not really a part of Catholic language, but as what I understand is that today it is becoming a part of the Catholic, and I don't know if that's in all church, if it's all across uh, the Catholic Church, or if it's certain, if there's, I don't know if there's branches or different sects or divisions, or that, can, can you shed any light on that? Well, uh, you know, I've, as far as born-again people, Mm-hmm. I have limited knowledge of people who were actually born again, um, but I 
<laughs> sorry, one of our one of our partners keeps calling. Um, but, but I do know in you know in my area where I live anyway, there is a mm-hmm. um, there is a sect of people who are. Um, who, I'm sorry. Who are? I I, I want to say they're they're born again, but they're not really born again. They're, the Opus Dei sect. You know, there's there's whole schools around here, like private schools around here that are that are largely populated with um, that sort of sect of the of the. Uh, okay. And is that like a charismatic? Is that is it when I hear the term charismatic? Uh, Catholics, because my wife's brother, uh, who actually was, he went to school to be a priest for a while, and then he dropped out, but uh, he is, I think, what's called a charismatic Catholic. Is that the same thing, or is that something different also? I, I don't know. I don't know how exactly okay. I would I would coin it, you know, to, to match it up. Or, okay. I know there is a whole stream of charismatic Catholics in, in most churches. Some of them are, you know, sort of underground, and some of them are not. Some churches support it, and some don't. Well, I'll tell you, there's something about uh, Catholic Mass. Now, my wife, because she grew up around that, and she doesn't. There's something. Some Saturday, I'm not. I'm not Catholic. I was not raised Catholic, but some Saturday afternoons, if I'm left to my own devices and if my wife's out of town or something and I'm out and about and I go by a church and the bells are ringing uh, I've been known to just pull in and go in and sit in back and back when I was 37 years old and God was in the process of turning my life around and taking this wreckage and turning it into something that he could use <clears throat> the place that I worked for we had break every afternoon at 3 o'clock and there was a, a Catholic church right down the street, and I was on a bicycle then at 37. Long story, but uh, <laughs> true story. <laughs> Talk about humbling. And I would get on my bicycle during break, and I would go down, and I would sit in back, and they would have mass up front. And I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew that there was a presence of God there, and that as I sat back in my little corner, and they were doing what they were doing, and I was there was a healing that was taking place for me. And my wife would question me. She goes, what? "You don't even know what's going on. You don't even know." What you're... I go, I, "You know what?" I go, "We serve a big God, and He's meeting whatever needs need to be met up front, and He's taking care of me in the back. So just just let me be, honey." And she said, "Okay, all right." Mm-hmm. When you look at the, this marketplace ministry move, yeah, there's a there's a book by Matthew Kelly who is a Catholic uh, mm-hmm. called The Dream Manager. It is one of the significant contributions to uh, marketplace ministry. So there's a whole, and in some ways, you know, some of the theological things that hinder um, Protestants aren't quite as strong in Catholicism. So they actually have some advantages in terms of marketplace ministry. Now, when you use that term, marketplace ministry, is that what, what does that mean? Tell us what that means. I just think it's the you know the term that's kind of popular for the concept that uh, people, you know we went um, you know in the first Reformation, you know Luther and Calvin uh, were justified by faith, and we all have equal access to the to the presence of God. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what happened. There, there's a, and we, and then, you know, churches started to get in the 60s, 70s, the charismatic renewal came along. Uh, you know, there were prior versions of it in uh, Assemblies of God and the Foursquare Church, you know, from the early 1900s. Right. Uh, throughout history, there have been others, the Moravians, all that. So that, that thing has shown up in history, you know, a dozen times or more. So uh, what happened was, uh, you know, like in the 60s, most uh, most churches had priests or pastors, and they did all the ministry, and everybody was fine with that. Well, in the, you know, let's say in the 70s, we started talking about lay ministry. So people were being invited to do work in the church, and we call it, you know, Clergy was the pastor, and the lay ministers were the people that you know were excited about right. God and wanted, wanted to do something. Right. Well, marketplace ministry sort of takes that same initiative and, and puts it in the kingdom or right, outside the church and to change cities and nations or impact the culture. And uh, so the the Reformation, if I can use that term, that's happening right now is that we're not only being invited into the presence of God, but we're being personally invited into the ministry of God. So the things that you know the Father's doing to establish His kingdom on earth, we're being invited to participate in that. And when you weave that, that I mean, that is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not just getting saved, but there's a bunch of stuff that happens between salvation and going to heaven. That's that's important. Right. And we're all being invited to play a role in it. And I, you know, one of the themes, one of the reasons I'm, you know, happy to be on this call, is like with with you and Michael. You know, the when you find out that uh, if you if you're interested in doing ministry, you know, participating with the Father to building build the kingdom, you say it yourself. Ministry costs money, so people that are going to do kingdom ministry have to navigate the fact that you're not going to do it with offerings. We have to learn to create wealth and convert money into ministry. And, uh, you know, you guys are on the cutting edge of doing that. That's why I appreciate uh, you and Michael. Because uh, that's, a, that's a key ingredient, I think, for what's happening right now, to get over this whole mindset of poverty, uh, to take initiative, to create wealth, and to, to just change nations. You know, in fact, let me say it this way: you know, God is not really primarily using pastors to change the culture. Pastors are very busy with their churches, as they should be, very busy getting people saved and baptized and shepherding the flock. But uh, when it comes to, to missions, uh, you just, all you got to do is look at any church's budget. I mean, the budget gets spent on buildings and salaries. 90% in every case. I mean, they might do something in missions. They might have right. some people, but that's not the, that's not their focus. I don't think it ever will be. I don't even think it's supposed to be. I think that's our job. That's, that's well, what's exciting. You know, when I... The last business uh, that I built was a company called HandyNet. Uh, we provided jobs for people that recovering from alcohol and drugs, people who were fresh out of prison, the homeless, all the people who had fallen through the cracks of society, the people that no one else would hire and give a job, 
uh, those broken lives, uh, that became my currency. That's what I dealt yeah. in. I taught these people uh, to become self-sufficient. To I helped them, by the grace of God, to become uh, the fathers and husbands and the wives and mothers that God had originally created them to be. Many of them had never held a job, never had health insurance. Uh, it was a mind-blowing experience, and we would pause every day for 30 minutes uh, during the workday for what we called God's time, and we would all gather around in a big circle, and at one point we grew to 50 employees, and we would have God's time. I would speak, or someone else would speak, or I'd invite somebody in, or one of the employees would speak, and and then we would pray and just share testimonies and praise reports, and it was it was powerful, and the world took notice. I'm telling you, from bankers to, I'm telling you, the world, they, newspapers came, they wrote articles. This, it was sort of a big deal, okay? Now, I tried to, or I did take that concept into the financial world, okay? See, as long as I was using the gospel to help the homeless, okay, and the down and out, and to help them get jobs, that was acceptable. But the moment I crossed the street and, and brought God to the other side of the street where uh, men and women were involved in this thing called trading and investing and creating wealth, all of a sudden, it had it was looked at a little bit differently. Suddenly, there was a very skeptical eye cast my way. Uh, one guy, not too long ago, in the chat room on a Saturday afternoon, he popped in. He says, "Hi, I'm looking at your website," and I typed in, "Okay, well, that's great. Welcome. If I can, if I can help, let me know." And he said. Uh, I'm a believer. I go, wow, that's awesome, brother. And he goes, are you a Christian? I typed in, yes, I am. He goes, well, I'm pretty skeptical of you. <laughs> I, just, I said, well, I, I guess, you know, that that's healthy, you know. Uh, skepticism is a healthy thing. I mean, I go, what's up? I mean, what? that's sort of a you know interesting way to say, you know, how you doing? Um, and he said, well, I don't know. I, I've been around, and I just know that people use God to manipulate. And, of course, we've all seen it. You know, we, there's a song by Dire Straits about the TV evangelist, uh, the guy with the golden ring, or the guy with the diamond ring. I forget the lyrics. but So uh, I wrote an article a while back because it, it kind of got old trying to explain myself time and again why I chose to go the route and the path I went but uh, anyone can Google it up. It's uh, just a short little piece. It's called God Chasers and E-Mini Traders. And it explains why I chose. See, in my mind, building this business as a kingdom business was no different than the other business that I built as a kingdom business. And what people come back with me as is, well, okay, well, what I don't understand is, you know, you... You go to church and you, you believe in God, fine. You trade in the markets, fine. Why do you have to mix the two together? Why do you got to drag God into this thing? What's the angle? What, what are you trying to prove? What are you trying to pull? Do you understand? Yeah. My, yeah, help me. Help me, that John. Has, <laughs> that has roots 
I mean, one of the things we've talked about in releasing King is the nature of man. And, we, I mean, we've all been taught that, you know, it's theological, it's called total human depravity. And we quote, uh, was it Jeremiah 17.9 says, uh, our hearts are wicked and deceitful, and desperately wicked and deceitful. Who right. Know them? Right. Um, it's another verse in Isaiah that talks about all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Mm-hmm. Um, Romans 3 talks about all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Well, if you go back in the context of every one of those verses, it's about a person or a group of people at a specific point in time. And theologically, we've cherry-picked those verses out of context, and we've, we've said that that applies to all men for all time. And uh, it, although it, it is absolutely true that you know Jesus is the door, you know, the way, the truth, and the life, and, and we aren't saved any other way except by what he did on the cross through his blood, I mean, that, that is very true. But it's also true that we're created in God's image. And that, you know, Hebrews 8, 10 and 10, 16 talks about how he writes his laws on our hearts. So this whole concept, and this is one of the icebergs that fell in the bay for me, was that I grew up as a Christian not trusting the desires of my own heart. I just assumed they had to be evil because of that theological paradigm. And for me to shift over to start trusting the desires of their heart, not that I don't need to you know, discern them and judge them, etc., get counsel on whatever. But basically, God is, you know, once we get saved, even, yeah, I think even before we're saved, those desires are, are already written there. So you don't have to motivate me to be a traitor. I enjoy it. And uh, that, see when, that, that is part of the gospel as well, that there's something wired into every one of us that is very precious, very kingdom, and very God. And it's built into our natural passions. And, and when you uh, explain that to a group of people, they, even though they're saved or not, I mean, there's, there's a piece of their heart that starts to come alive. You can be saved and, and not be in touch with your heart at all. I, I mean, I lived there for 30 years. And uh, the fact is that Christian life is intended to be lived out of the natural passions that God hardwired into our hearts, and uh, and and that's the nature of the relationship that God wants with us. He, he's not interested in a bunch of robots. He's looking for fellowship and worship, and uh, you know just the, the the expression of those natural passions in, in a way that creates wealth and does ministry uh, is. An adventure. It's a joy. It's a it's a privilege. It's a party. I mean, it's fun. It, it puts a smile on your face when you do it. It and it's not a sacrifice. It's a it's just a. I, I, I can't think of more adjectives right now, but <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the the churches, you know, you know, sacrifice and obedience were you know sort of the. The way we described, you know, a true servant of God, and the fact is, you know, I get serving. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay having a good attitude and you know putting other people first. But we are not primarily servants. We are primarily friends and kings, seated at the right hand of the Father 
you know, and if you if you really want to serve people best, you need to occupy the position of your destiny at, at its highest level and, and create wealth and be who you were created to be and, uh, you know, conquer those mountains and inherit your land. That's when you're most effective on behalf of other people. And, and you see that built into the, to the very concept of capitalism, for example, of this nation that... Uh, that, you know, the reason the glory of God has rested on the United States and we've been a, you know, a blessing around the world, although we certainly have our fair share of problems, seem like we have more than our fair share, but the, the reason is freedom. You know, freedom to be who you were created to be. Um, you know, it just going to Poland and hearing the stories of what happened to people under uh, communism and Nazism, I mean, and, and what it was like to live absolutely without freedom, having your vocation, your education, details about your life dictated to you, and, and what it does to people. When we were in the Ukraine, you people will not make eye contact with you when you walk down the street. You know, it's still there. It's not so present in the younger generation, but both in the Ukraine and Poland, especially in the older generation, you can still see the effects of uh, you know living without liberty, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. When I, when I come home, you know, I kiss the ground every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as much as I love going to Africa and to Mexico and ministering, and I just I I have a wonderful time. But I'll never forget the first time I came back from Africa, and you know, the culture shock is pretty huge. But I think the culture shock coming back home was greater than the culture shock I experienced yeah. when I got there yeah. because we got home it was late in the afternoon and we you know unloaded the luggage put it in the house I got in my car with air conditioning and I drove down to Del Taco I pulled up to the drive-in and lickety split for a few bucks I had a nice hot meal and then I drove home and no traffic traffic in Kampala is unbelievable uh, yeah. and the roads and everything else and I got home and I got out of my car and the neighborhood was just so quiet so yeah. peaceful and I remember walking out into the street in the neighborhood in front of my house and I had been on these little tiny twisting pothole riddled roads for so long and there was just this huge expanse of, of asphalt and it was like yeah the most beautiful thing in the world to me. I was like, my goodness, even our streets are blessed here in America. Yeah. And, and we take it, and it's clean. And, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and it's not deeper than allowing people the freedom to do what God wired them to do. That's the, that's the premise of it. Yeah. So, Michael, anything you want to... You want to jump in with there? Any any questions you have? Uh, uh, not and, not and so I'd much. Like... I, I was going to say not, not not so much questions, but uh, you know, I had <laughs> when I was in uh, when I was in um, Turkey during the during the first Persian Gulf War. Um, mm -hmm. You know, seeing the way that you know some of the towns, the, the little towns that were outside of the city that that you know we were nearby, we were nearby. Um, Adana, and 
the little towns are outside of the city, seeing how you know the people lived in the houses that were you know made of like next to nothing, and it was it was amazing to to see that you know this is the norm, and you know people they get by they they're you know they're not I don't know I I don't want to say they they don't know. I guess for the majority, the majority of the people have never had much better than that, so they don't know that there, that there's anything else. But you know, for those right. of us who have who have had it on this end, you know, when I got back, well, actually from there I went back to England, but even going back to England was, you know, the windy roads that they had there and all that. Um, <laughs> even going back to England was was such a relief and such a step up. You know, of course I was living in a tent, but but uh, it's. <laughs> <laughs> it was still, it was still, uh, you know, just experiencing that, and and that's something that I think, I don't think uh, most people get to do because if they did, I think that they would they would appreciate, um, they would appreciate much more what they have when they come back, you know, to the United States or wherever they live, you know, wherever yeah. their uh, their home is. Well. Uh, my kids, I can't. Now that the adoption is final, we couldn't take them out of the United States <clears throat> when they were still in foster care. But now that the adoption's final, we can. I'm going to break them in by taking them to our mission down in Mexico because uh, they haven't seen that yet. And once I get their feet wet there, then in the next few years, I'd like to be able to take them to to Africa as well. And they're very anxious to go. And I just think it will be so good for them at this age to experience how 80% of the world lives. Uh, we, you know, a billion people went to bed hungry last night. Now, every weekend, my wife cleans out our refrigerator. We're going to throw food away. It just, we're going to throw food away that we weren't able to eat this week. But yet a billion people went to bed hungry last night. And so I want my kids to, I remember when I was a kid, my, you know, the old thing about, hey, there's some starving kid in China, you know, eat the whatever it is, you know, and never, and I remember saying, well, you know, you feel free to send it to a mom, you know, if that's the case. But here's an issue that I've had to deal with, and it's, and it's been a difficult one. I go into third world countries to preach the gospel, whether it's Mexico or Africa, and I preach to them about the God of more than enough, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And while they buy the message of salvation that I'm preaching, you know, when I talk to them about the cattle on a thousand hills, uh, you know, the guy says, well, you think he could spare one? Because my family's starving to death. And this is a very real, where the rubber meets the road kind of a thing. Now, we have been writing checks and supporting third world countries, Africa in particular, for hundreds of years. Okay, What we're doing in Africa is nothing new. We didn't, we didn't pioneer this uh, idea of helping the African people, but we've done it horribly wrong. The, the African people right now, in my opinion, they're probably worse off than if we had just left them alone because they don't they've lost their 
for many of them, they've lost their dignity, their self-respect, because the men don't have jobs. And there's something about a man getting up, going to work, working hard, uh, being paid a wage for his labor, coming home, being the breadwinner, the provider for his family. That gives that man a certain amount of dignity and self-respect and it shows up in very unique ways like how he loves his wife and is faithful to her and how he becomes a father to his children the way we want our Heavenly Father to be our father and so about five years into this Africa ministry we realized how backwards we had the whole thing and we said we we, we can't stop giving but we have to start developing economic projects we have to teach these people to be self-sufficient we have to start businesses and I'm gonna tell you we have tried everything from scooters to which is what they use for like a taxi service there from scooters to stores to planting 175 acres of corn which we lost 75 percent of it to the worst flood in Kenya in a hundred years. It's like, it, it's hard. It is, see, we're preaching to these people about we serve a God and more than enough. He can meet all your needs uh, if you'll just believe. But then when we attempt to put it into practice, you know, they don't call it the dark continent for no reason. I mean, there's there's a stronghold there and we need businessmen. We need, you know, the last thing in the world God needs is another broke preacher. I mean, you know, and so many businessmen who have the ability to create sums of money, uh, they want, uh, Mark Driscoll, uh, he preaches about this quite a bit. You know, I had another one this week come to me and tell me how he's going to walk away from his business, his empire, all his money, and go become a preacher. And he says, and I have to tell this guy, are you crazy? You know, with with what you make a week as a CEO of this company, you could support a thousand itinerant preachers. But you're going to walk away from all that because men are not truly hearing God's voice. We we get a, somehow the message gets garbled or confused. And correct me if I'm wrong, John, but isn't part of that what's at the heart of your book and your ministry that some men are you know created to be priests? other men are created to be kings and that sometimes we get that message confused yeah in fact uh, you know it's it's better than you describe here I mean here's the reality we you know Ephesians 4:11. you know God gave apostles evangelists pastors preachers teachers prophets you know for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry well I had uh, I'll use myself as an example I had really good mentoring in that regard inside the church and so now I'm I'm not a pastor anymore I, I mean I saw the light <laughs> but I didn't I didn't forget what I learned and so when I go to Poland if there's uh, something evangelistic that needs to happen I can do it if there's something prophetic that needs to happen I can do that if if it's teaching I can do that if it's uh, you know, apostolic. I can do that. Okay, there, there is nothing that, uh, you know, what, I guess the benefit that I had of, you know, being a 13 years as a pastor and running with those guys. I mean, I had, 
we met with the 40 pastors in our city for prayer once a week or once a month, I guess it was. You know, did summer camping trips with them. You know, I, I know what a pastor does day to day. I know how he thinks. I know how he's wired. I know what it what he does to keep his church going. I know what's important to him. But the reality is, the 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 cool thing that's happening right now is that anybody that saves can have those same five anointings and go any place in the world and and uh, do anything they want to. You know, it, you know, to uh, you, you got to get out of the United States to realize how easy it is to heal the sick. You know, that, that's what I, that's my message to businessmen. And let me give you one example. Okay. In the middle of being a pastor in 1995 or six, I took my daughter and one couple from our church, and that was when um, um, was the TV ministry Pat Robertson, what they call it. Um, uh, 700 Club? Well, his TBN, wasn't it? Not TBN, but CBN. CBN, CBN okay. was broadcasting in Russia, and that was about the time the Iron Curtain fell down. And uh, as soon as it fell down, they started putting together dozens and dozens of churches to go over there and plant churches. So we signed up. I had a friend, a friend in our church that knew about this ministry, and they, they combined with a missions organization called Ames, and they teamed up. Uh, churches in the U.S. with a church plant in Russia. So we went over there for 10 days, and you know, the first weekend you got sort of oriented in Moscow, and they sent us to a city just on the north end of the Black Sea called Rostov on Don. And so we went into one of these communist halls, you know, met the guy that was pastoring a church. He had a little core group of people, a dozen people. And uh, so we give a, you know, we're, we took music equipment over there overhead projectors, speakers, guitars, you know, uh, the whole shot, and mm. gave it all to them, and then supported them for a year after we left. But while we're there, we're supposed to do a couple uh, evangelistic services to kick off the church, and they had taken, you know, everybody that saw the TV and the radio programs over there that got saved, you know, I mean, they had thousands of names mailed in, and so they... They gave those pastors those names, and so we had a crowd of you know two or three hundred people there, and uh, so I just gave a standard, you know, we had worship, gave a standard sort of a gospel message, and about thirty people, you know, got saved. Well, when they got saved, we're we're in this communist hall, which has a high platform, and when they got and it's a big platform, you know, you can, they could do ballet on or whatever. Right. So the pastor had arranged his dozen people to talk with the people that got saved afterwards. And so they all came up on the stage at, at, at the invitation and then went behind me and met with the pastor and his team. And they all gave them, prayed with them, gave them literature, all that kind of stuff, talked to them for a few minutes. And so I'm sitting up there with a translator and nothing to do. So I said, well, if anybody here that would like to receive prayer for healing, why don't you come on up and we'll just pray for you while they're praying with these people who got saved. So here's a couple hundred people out there. They Everybody gets in a line. <laughs> there was nobody left sitting. And, and they, they all came up for prayer. Okay, And, you know, so I'm a you know, pastor in a church, and we pray for the sick with pretty mixed results. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm no yeah. great guy that you know, gets everybody healed. Well, that night, we were just laying our hands on people, and uh, it's like everybody we touched, you know, warmed up. 
and they could feel it too, to this extent I was praying. So we'd have people come up, my transmitters on my left, and I'm facing you know, the seats, and people were coming up from the right side in a line, and this one lady came up, so I, she said she had a back problem. So I put my hand uh, you know, on her back, didn't touch it, just you know, left it close. And I could feel the warmth while we're praying for her. So, you know, just to check things out, I asked the translator to put her hand back there to, to see if she could feel the heat. And she jerked her hand back and said, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a guy that was, uh, you know, up there with crutches and lame. We had him running laps around the auditorium. Really? <laughs> uh, we had, <laughs> you know, all kinds of miraculous things going on. And uh, same same kinds of things happened in Poland. You know, some I, I can tell you more stories about what happened prophetically. We call it going to the back row. You know, we just sometimes you get a sense of what God's saying to something. We got so confident we would just go get them, and uh, it, it's just so much fun over there when you give yourself permission to do whatever the Lord, you know, want, is doing over there. And the fact is, anybody can do it. It, it's not hard. It's like rolling off a log, and, and once you get a taste of it, you know it's just too much fun not to keep doing it. Well, and and here's the thing: when you go into these third world countries, uh, be it Mexico, be it Africa, wherever it might be, and uh, Poland, I don't—that's not considered a third world country, correct? Is that an emerging nation? Is that what they call that? Or I don't know. I, People in third world countries don't like to be called third world countries. So we should oh, use that okay. Term. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me let me watch let me let me watch my uh, political correctness here. I mean I mean no offense, but what I found is that when I go into places uh, such as Africa, I, the spirit the spirit of the people there it's so incredibly fertile yeah. that we do see miracles because see here in America. God, if you're if you're a good Bible believing Christian, then God is an important part of your life. But in Africa, if you're a Christian and a believer, God is your whole life. It's yeah. everything. It everything else takes a back seat. And I believe that it is that type of you know, faith where you are able to see those kinds of miracles because uh, they do believe they don't see here. We always have something, some some kind of fallback plan. Well, if this doesn't work out, we can do this, and you know, and or there's social services, or there's food boxes, or at the church, or at the city hall, or you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But when you go into some of these countries, I mean, there is. There is no other plan. There is nothing to fall back on. But yet I met the most truly, genuinely happy and joyful people I've ever come across in Africa. And I remember, you know, thinking, because here I am, you know, I'm the American, I got a couple dollars in my pocket, and I'm going to come over and I'm going to change the world and make it a better place and Blah, blah. I mean, I learned so much, so quick. And my faith, I found out later, was largely motivated by the success that God had brought me financially and in other ways. And here were these people who had absolutely nothing. 
They did not know where their next meal was coming from. They didn't know where they were going to possibly even sleep tonight. But they were happy. They were filled with joy. They were excited. They were ecstatic. And they weren't concerned. And I remember thinking, hey, doesn't this guy know that uh, his average life expectancy is only 40? Doesn't he know the odds are that he will, you know, some percentage that he may die of starvation? I mean, I remember going through this laundry list in my head, and it's like, why are these people so doggone happy? Yeah. I thought I, I thought I had a relationship with God, but it wasn't until I met people who really had a relationship with God that what an what an you know I, I went there with the plan to help these people, but these people ministered to me just in the way they lived out their life, the, the way they lived out their faith, touched me and changed me in ways that yeah. I could never imagine. And gosh, I am so. I am so thankful and so grateful for that opportunity and for that experience. It, it literally changed who I was and how I see the world. And, and that's why we do see those kinds of miracles there. And I think the other part of it is just, you know, if you imagine uh, a businessman or, you know, doesn't matter what mountain, you know, going to a place like that, you know, we just need to have them equipped so that they realize what kind of anointing they are taking with them. You know they don't they don't need to uh, you know take a pastor with them to do all that stuff. You know we've been licensed to do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. true. Yeah, that's uh, you know, to me that's that's a huge thing right now. I think the other thing that's happening is you know there's a huge door open with people that are you know maybe don't even go to church that uh, are are being invited into the kingdom anyway. You know, find you know, find an expression, and you know, get saved second. Uh, I, I just see that door open. <clears throat> you know, you tell tell people that you know the father's doing this to change the culture, to change a nation, change a city, and and just you know, send that message out and see who shows up to make it happen. There, are, it isn't always just Christians that. Have, are coming out of churches. You know, when you preach the gospel of the kingdom, it, it, it draws people that, uh, you know, are not necessarily skid row bones. Okay? They already have healthy businesses and healthy bank accounts and healthy families. You know, it's just my, you know, total depravity theology that I thought that, you know, to fit the mold everybody needed to be an alcoholic first and get saved second. <laughs> it's not true. Uh, you know, yeah, I, right. I live in a suburban neighborhood and everybody's educated, everybody has nice kids, everybody has pretty good marriages, they are relatively problem free. The, the biggest need they have is to connect with their destiny and experience the presence of God. You know, they don't need to get off drugs or alcohol, they, they're not on that stuff. They don't need to stop beating their wives. They have pretty good marriages already. And so, and how do we reach those people? Because it's typically the skid row bum or the person on drugs who, you know, at, once we reach the end of ourselves, that's where we find the beginning of God. But the person that's kind of just, you know, bumping along, life's okay, uh, they're the more difficult one to reach, correct? 
Yeah. I, you know, if you if you tell those people about the gospel of the kingdom, you know, if you if you take a businessman and tell him, here's what I got for you. You get saved, you can go to heaven, and in the meantime, for the next 30 years, you can come to church and put money in the offering plate and listen to sermons. Okay? There are not many takers on that offer right now. Okay? But if you tell them you can change the world, and here's how, here's what the Father's doing, and here's the role you can play, they will say yes to that. We've just been preaching the wrong gospel. Hmm. And how are we going to change the world, John? What are we going to do? You know, I, I think it's it's um, as as easy as the foundation of the United States that when when we understand that individuals all the way up to cultures change as a result of getting connected with our hearts and doing the thing that God designed us to do. I mean, twenty five years ago. That the, the last two sentences would almost have been considered new age. Okay, I mean salvation means you've got to lay down your life, you've got to become a servant, you've got to get under authority, you know, you've got to submit yourself to you know accountability. Uh, you know, um, it's it's just a slightly different message and. You know, if you're desperate, if you're on drugs and alcohol, uh, anything that touches the presence of God, you know, you'll do anything to get it. But, you know, people people that, uh, you know, don't have those same felt needs, their biggest need is destiny. And the church does has not, in its message, offered destiny. Okay? The church has not been changing cultures. That, that hasn't been part of what's been on the table. I think it's changing, but it hasn't, you know, totally turned the corner yet. So we're, you know, we're right in the middle of, you know, whether, uh, you know, I, I think pastors will come around and churches will come around and really uh, adopt the idea of kingdom. But you know, at the moment, and, and maybe it won't change. You know, I, I think it's fine for pastors to be uh, kind of consumed with the vision for their local church. I think that's important. I think they should do that. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that 98% of us are, are not called to be pastors on a church staff. We're called to go change the world someplace else, either in our own city, in our own nation, in another nation. You know, the, the goal isn't just to get people saved. The goal is to disciple nations. You know, I think when you think about people that are, you know, wired um, to to be in a mountain, be in politics, be in entertainment at a high level, be in business at a high level, most people think in those terms. You know, they just look at what Bill Gates is doing right now. I don't mm -hmm. think, to my knowledge, he's not saved, but you know, as best he can, he's trying to change, change impact nations. But our father is doing, yeah. doing the same thing. I wouldn't say he's doing everything right, but you know, it, he is so already motivated to do that. You know, he's a big gun. We just need to get him pointed in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, amen, amen. Uh, now, my friend Larry, who uh, a very close friend of mine, who passed away uh, last year, 
he had been he was uh, he was one of the mythical Phoenix Forty. It's a group of forty people who claim they don't they don't exist, but uh, they're the movers and shakers in Phoenix. And of course, they say they don't exist. And he says he wasn't one of them, but everybody sort of knew that they do, and he was. And he had gone to church most of his life and, you know, did the right thing, the 3.2 kids or whatever it's supposed to be. <laughs> but it wasn't until he and I met, I went to a shareholders meeting at the Biltmore, and at the end of the shareholders meeting, I was filing out the door, and I shook his hand. He was the CEO of a company uh, here in Phoenix. I shook his hand, and I said, hey, I hope everything you said comes true because I got a whole bunch of orphans uh, counting on you. And he goes, say that again? I said, I hope everything you just said comes true because I've got a whole bunch of, I own a ton of stock in your company and I've got a bunch of orphans counting on you to come through. And there was probably, you know, 50 people in line behind me all lining up to shake his hand as they exited the conference room. Yeah. He turned to that line of people and he says, I'll be with you folks in just a minute. He put his hand on my shoulder and he walked me over to the corner and he said, say that one more time. And so I said it again and he goes, could I please have your name and your phone number? And I said, well, yeah, sure. I gave him my business card. He says, can I call you and come visit you? And I said, sure. I, I didn't had no idea what his motivation was or why he was asking this. The next day he called, he came down to my office. He sat in my office. We talked for a couple of hours. I told he, and this man came alive. He was, Larry was probably when I met him, late 50s or early 60s. And again, not a man with an alcohol problem or a drug problem. He had a church, had kids that, you know, had, had graduated college and done good things with their life. But he had not found his fire and his passion right. and so as I began to share with him about the orphanage and what we were doing I never once asked him for a dime although I knew he had money and, and we had needs and I could have said hey brother you know can you spare a couple hundred thousand but I never yeah. did I just shared with him and he would come and visit and we would pray and and this probably went on for a year and a year and a half uh, and one day he called me and he said, uh, Dwayne, something's not right in your voice. What's what's going on? I go, oh, I mean, it's just stuff, Larry. Don't worry about it. I'll be, I'll be fine. He goes, no, no, no. I know you. We've spent some time together. I hear in your voice, what's wrong? And there had been some problems at the orphanage and it was a money, you know, a money issue, a crisis. And and so I said, I'm, I, well, if you insist, I'll tell you. And so I just told him, but I still didn't ask him for anything. And he said, he listened to me, he heard me out. And he said, can I call you back in a few minutes? And I go, yeah, sure. And so about 15 minutes later, my phone rings. I answered, it's Larry. And he says, hey, Dwayne. I go, yeah. He goes, I just had my bookkeeper write a check for $3,000 and she's mailing it to your office. This is for that problem that you have at the orphanage. I was blown away because at this point in our ministry, no one had ever sowed anything into it. My wife and I had just funded everything from our company, from funds that we generated from 
our employees, the drug addicts, you know, the people just out of prison, all the, the least of these, that's how we had built an orphanage, orphanage from the, the labor of the least of these. Now suddenly I had this very important high-profile businessman telling me he wanted to get, I was just, I didn't know what to say. I was speechless. And I said, well, well, well Larry, thanks. I'll pay back as soon as I can. And he said, no, no, no you don't understand. He says, she's sending you a check today for 3000 and she's going to send you a check for 3000 on this day every month from now on. Yeah. I almost dropped the phone. Yeah. I didn't know how to react yeah. to that. And yeah. so then when it came time for me to go to Africa, uh, he says, can I go? And I'm like, yeah. can you go? Yeah, yeah, you can go. And so he went, and I'm going to tell you something, this guy, when his feet hit that soil and we got to that orphanage, and he started ripping and running and playing basketball with these kids, what a transformation, what a beautiful thing. And then he came back from Africa, and he ran with a, with a circle of some pretty big dogs, if you know what I mean. And he started telling his buddies at the Phoenix Country Club about this orphanage and how great it was to serve God and to do things. And he really became a voice for the kingdom. And he raised some serious money. And he caught fire. And he didn't stop just with our orphanage. He went on to do all kinds of things here in Phoenix. He sponsored homes for wayward teens. I mean, that money that had been piling up in the bank gathering dust he broke it out man he started putting it to work for the kingdom and to to just sit there on the sidelines and watch this happen before my eyes was a oh such a wonderful thing yeah and you know as a in your situation in that somewhat pastoral role you know the confidence and the authority that you have with someone that's been an alcoholic you know uh People like the guy with wealth, Larry, uh, need to be reached out with the same level of confidence. They, they can't be treated the same. Uh, but, you know, guys like that are the ones that really are going to change the world. I mean, people that, you know, we, we do need to reach out to, uh, you know, the, the least of, of us, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> people right. that are the alcoholism and drugs. You know, need sure. to be saved, need to be reached out to. That's important. But that group of people are not generally the ones that are going to go from that that level and change the world. God is already gr grooming people like that are kind of have the Cyrus anointing. They're, mm -hmm. they're already somewhat touching their calling, even though they're not saved. Those people need to be saved. That need to be, you know tapped into what the Father's doing to build the kingdom. Because they already have, you know, and it's not just resources, it's not just money. They have the, uh, you know, the wisdom and the anointing to make a difference. I mean, they can navigate the politics, they can navigate the, the, the legal morass uh, of, of doing big things, because that's right. what they've been doing for a living. Exactly. He knew how to the invitation. When we would try to do some kind of a little project at the orphanage, he knew how to speak this language about capital expenditures. And I'm like, capital expenditures? No, Larry, I think you misunderstand. We need $5,000 to build another dormitory. And he goes, yeah, Dwayne, that's a capital expenditure. I'm like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> See, the other thing they understand is cash flow. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. thing we have done wrong in missions is to, you know, we give a pile of money and we create a condition where a pile of money is needed every year from now until eternity. Yep. And uh, that doesn't work. Yeah, and he saw this, and he knew how. Yeah, exactly. Hey, listen, John, we've been at this now for a little over an hour, and I'd like to leave it on this note if we can, because I want to cover with you. There's a lot I want to cover, brother. We didn't even really get into the book so much, but I kind of want to take it chapter by chapter. And now you said we can do this every other Friday, correct? People can go to your website, releasingkings.com. They can sign up for your newsletter. Yeah. Is that so correct? There's a whole bunch of stuff on there. For, uh, that's kind of a self self-edited tour you can take. I'm, I'm at your I'm at your website right now. I've got it up on the big screen for anybody that's that's looking. Um, let me get back to the main page. Here we go. Uh, so newsletter. It looks like, is there a number of different newsletters, or is it all one? There are. Those are categories. If you click on the top button, you'll get them all in chronological order. Okay. Is that, So is that something people right here, the newsletter, they would sign up for that? Yeah. Or just, yep. Okay. That's how you do it. Okay. And uh, the books that you've written, they can be ordered right from your site? Yep. Just click it and go, huh? In fact, uh, when you click the site, it takes you is, to is the that you? website. Is that yeah, you in Poland? Yep. That's you? Yep. Cool. All right. Michael, are, are you still with us there? I am still here. Anything you'd like to uh, anything you'd like to share or add here as we kind of wrap this up? I don't I don't want to wear you out on the first day, John, and I know you probably got things to do and I got a couple things I gotta do, so but I'm sure looking forward to uh a, not next Friday, but the following Friday, guys, we're gonna really start to get into the meat of this book here. Is there anybody in the audience right now who has a question for John before he goes? And John, I'm sure you've got your contact information on your website there. Email, yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. Phone number, email. Okay, great. Uh, question, let's see. Oh, okay, that's not a question. Yeah, that's a uh, statement, not a question. <laughs> okay. I have an extra one right here I could send. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't have any questions right at the moment. So tell you what I'm going to do, John, is uh, later today, uh, but no, I've got to go to the arena. You know, with my son for the basketball game tonight. He won tickets courtside. So I'll do that. But tomorrow I'll get the uh, podcast uploaded. And once it's uploaded and in the iTunes store, I'll be sure and send you a link. So you can have a listen, share it with friends or anybody you'd like to. And uh, let's let's try to email back and forth uh, if we can. I know you're busy and you got a lot going on. But uh, as we head into... Uh, the next show, if there's any particular direction you want to go, specific topics you want to cover, just let me know. And uh, I'm here, brother. Yeah, I'm here. I'm, uh, I'm here and I'm excited. Whatever I can do to help you guys, I'm signed up for it. Thanks so much. And what you're doing. Well, you know, I, what you wrote, uh, that testimonial you wrote about being a CFR and partner, uh, I haven't published that anywhere yet. I haven't put it on the website. I do plan to put it on the website, but I just... 
I appreciate the vote of confidence that you gave us. I know you've you know been around trading for a while and, and you've tried a few different things and and you've I love the story you told me the other day about the tweet and how you made yourself a little money before you went to work. That's a great thing, and that's always encouraging for me to to hear that because, uh, well, it just I got, is. I got uh, 27 points on uh, gold in the pre-market this morning. Nice. Did, did you really? 27 points? Yeah, gold well, was jumping. Ticks. Yeah, ticks. Ticks, but ticks either okay. way. Yeah, now, are you? how are you... Uh, were you trading the slingshot? Were you working with no. something else? No. Just following your lead. You, you, weren't, you weren't on the call yet. I <laughs> watched the call, too. <laughs> so doing Michael's thing. Yeah. So trading Amen. trading basically the, the setup that I do in the live trading yep. room every day. Nice. See, that does... It is. It just works. Just I know you made most of your money on gold this uh, so far this month. As well. Yeah, I really, like, I really like that because it moves a lot. The past couple months, actually, this month I'm gold. I'm looking at it right now. I'm just um, doing something with it right now. But uh, yeah, this month we're up more on gold than anything else. We're up multiples on gold than than some of the other things that we usually do well on. Um, you know, last month too, we were up really well on gold. Yeah. My, my job just keeps me from being on the calls at the moment. I'm going to change that fairly soon, but uh, it's active enough pre-market or in the evenings, like in the Australian and Japan Open. Right, right. The Asian Open. Get some trades in. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the one of the more I don't know. I don't want to say it, it's one of the more volatile markets. You know, there's there's enough activity in it most of the day that you can usually put a trade on. I I really like gold a lot. Um, you know, there's but that said, I don't. We're getting off. We're getting off from your book here, but um, that, 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 Michael, that is the theme of the book. <laughs> <laughs> we're right on. <laughs> you are what the book was written for. <laughs> well, we're. You are the star of the book. <laughs> we're, we're trying. Yeah, we're just. The book was written for you. Your <laughs> book. <laughs> Oh my golly! I think I will have to. Uh, <laughs> hey, how did you and how did you and Harold meet? He, uh, a mutual friend in my church in the early nineties, knew him, and we just invited him as a guest speaker. And so he came once or twice a year to our church, and he only lives an hour away. Okay. So uh, we just developed a friendship from there. The message he delivered about the four levels of how we live out our Christianity that he. Uh, the message he shared at our church here a few Sundays ago. Uh, the first level is the one you you talked about a little bit today. Uh, get saved and you know just go to church and when you die you'll go to heaven. That's that's one. I don't want to say vision, but one way. And then there's the next level above that. Then the level above that, and then there was four. And the fourth one ends up where it's a relationship. Have you heard him give that message? I have not. Yeah, I think I've got, I think I've got, I've got the, oh, I've got the CD because he did some prophecy at the end and he spoke a pretty good word for me. Uh, I will, that I will make a copy of that and I'll put it in my Dropbox or something because uh, it's a great message. In fact, I'm going to, I'll send him an email and ask him if I can put it on the playlist on the radio station 
Uh, I'm sure he'll say okay, but uh, I want to ask him first because I think everyone could benefit from that message. Not necessarily the word he spoke for me at the end, but just the, the entire message about the four levels and how uh, the yeah. I'm a huge fan of, yeah. of You know, he's such a, a great communicator, and uh, he's just a bridge into practical theology. Yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed him. So, well, John. God bless you, brother. Thanks for everything that you're doing for the kingdom. Thank you for uh, agreeing to do this show with us. I'm so glad you decided to become a CFRN partner, and I look forward to talking to you uh, in two weeks. Sounds good. Okay. Good All right. Thanks, Thanks Michael. Thanks. Yes. Good. Good talking. Good talking with you. Some more listening than talking for me, but, but that's <laughs> that's unusual for me. Normally, I'm the one who's doing all the talking. But, uh, but but it's good. It's it's a welcome change. Uh, thanks, thanks guys. Thanks both of you guys hey, for putting this together. Michael, you have a great weekend too, and uh, I'm sure we'll end up talking over the weekend. Excellent. I'm sure we will too. All right, you too. All right, guys. And John, take, take care. care, guys. Bye, bye, guys. Remember this, there is no greater return on investment than to see a human life changed and given hope. As always, pray hard and trade safe. Any financial information discussed on this show is simply the opinion of our host, Dwayne Reeves, his co-hosts, and guests. To learn more about trading e-mini futures or to take a one-week free trial in our live trading room, call 1-866-928-3310. 866-928-3310. Information discussed on this radio program should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Always do your own due diligence and consult with a licensed securities broker or financial planner before making any investment decision. 